Money Pit is brought to you by Click Studios. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are so pleased to have you here today. We're here to talk about your house, your home, give you some tips, some ideas, some inspiration to get projects done around your home. Coming up in just a couple of weeks, it's a big holiday. Well, it's a very important holiday. Guys, you need to pay attention to this. It's Valentine's Day. And if you usually give flowers or candy, hey, we got another idea. We're going to help you step it up and spice it up with a Valentine's Day room makeover. That's true. Also ahead this hour, we're going to take on an annoying problem, shaky stairs and loose railings. Hey, that could be your Valentine's Day gift. (laughs) You know, that's one thing in a house that people tend to tolerate just because they really don't know where to begin to fix it. So we're going to share some tips in just a bit. Plus, if the thought of shoveling more snow has you painting for a better solution, well, it might be time to invest in a snowblower. We're going to explain the options to help you pick the best one for your house. So let's get to it. The number is one eight 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 money pit leslie who's first lisa in iowa you've got the money pit what can we do for you today i've got borders and wallpaper to take down now what if i paint over it should i prime it and if i have to take it off do i score it and then peel it off so i use water and vinegar Hey, that's my question. So here's the best way to approach this project. And you're right, it is a lot of work, but we really don't like the idea of painting over the wallpaper because you're just kind of putting off the problem for later and makes it even harder to deal with. Darn. Um, The easiest way to take off a lot of wallpaper is with a um, steam wallpaper stripper. And it's a tool that you can easily rent. I know Home Depot rents them. I'm sure other places rent them. And it really does a good job of steaming the glue and loosening up the paper. You can speed the job up by scoring the wallpaper. And there's a neat little tool um, called a paper tiger that is really a one of a kind. And it kind of rolls over the paper and puts a, a bunch of little holes in it that helps the steam get through the surface to get to the glue underneath. And it comes off that much easier. Now, even though I say it's easier, it is still a lot of work. So I don't want you to kid yourself, but renting the, the steam uh, stripper for the wallpaper is definitely the best way to go. Well, cool. Thanks a million. George in Utah's on the line with some sort of subfloor issue over at their money pit. What is going on? Yeah, I've got a bathroom floor that's starting to crack in places. Uh, it's made of tile, so I, the flooring underneath it is crumbling, and I'm, I'm just not sure what to, to fix it with. Are they big tiles? Are they wide tiles, like 12-inch wide tiles, or what? They're about, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're your standard 12 by... Yeah, I figured that. <laughs> You know, when you have those big tiles, the floors have to be that much stronger because, you know, there's no flex in those big tiles. I mean, if you have, you know, if you have mosaic tiles and they're only an inch an inch by an inch, all those grout lines give you a little bit of flex. But in those big tiles, it's got to be rock solid. So there's no easy fix for this. You're looking at rip, having to tear out that floor and properly rebuild it. If you want the big wide tiles, um, you're going to have to take out everything that's there down to the subfloor put in new plywood subfloor and probably pretty thick subfloor too so it's really strong or maybe even go with um, a mesh mud floor where basically you put mesh down then you put uh, a mix of concrete over that floor a slurry mix and then level it out and then glue the tile on top of that so that it's absolutely rock hard and perfectly flat Otherwise, what's going to happen is you get any deviation in that space, you're going to break that tile. Okay. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Gerald in Massachusetts, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have um, a roof that is about seven years old, and I notice on um, a couple of the eaves with the shingles uh, go down from the uh, garage onto the onto my breezeway, um, I get a little bit of leakage. And I was just wondering if possibly I could use that flex seal. Would would that help and uh, not hurt my uh, shingles? I'm sure they're the standard type of shingles. They're about, uh, what, 30-year uh, asphalt shingles? Yeah, so when you say this is like between your breezeway and, and, your, uh, and your garage, is there a sort of a flashing point there? Is there an intersection of like a wall and a roof or two different kinds of roofs? Give me a better picture of what's going on. There is. There is. Between the uh, breezeway and the garage, there is a, a different wall. Uh, the flashing, no, not really. So you're just seeing a shingles that are just sticking up. I see, uh, I noticed that yes uh, when I uh, went up the uh, when I went on the uh, roof and I cleaned off all of my pine needles. I have a lot of pine needles in my property. I uh, noticed that um, uh, the shingles would stick up. I would just use asphalt roof cement. That's what that stuff's designed for. Is that what that? Okay, I was going to ask you if there's any other um, uh, uh, thing that you would uh, suggest. You know, you can get some asphalt roof cement. It, it comes in a like a quart size can you know get one of those disposable putty knives you can apply a dab of it under the shingle press the shingle down you know maybe you have to wait it overnight yeah if you want to put something on it but that'll hold those they'll hold those tabs down you know the shingles actually have uh, a cement underneath the tab but sometimes that breaks down or wears out and that's why where asphalt roof cement will come in i see so asphalt roof cement thank you very much sir all right good luck thanks so much for calling us at 888 money You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Give us a call with your home repair or your home improvement question. Whatever it is you are working on this home improvement weekend, we want to lend a hand. Give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. Hey, when the snow comes down, you know what happens? The shoveling starts, and then the back kicks follow. (laughs) Well, snow blowers can be a much better option. We're going to share some tips on how you can choose the right one for your driveway and your walks after this. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to AIRDOCTORPRO.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's AirDoctorPro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Today's Money Pit is presented by Mr. Beams, lighting solutions that can be installed in five minutes. No wires, no electrician, no kidding. 
Find Mr. Beams lights at major retailers and learn more at mrbeams.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, spring is uh, just around the corner. Another month or so, we'll be into some warmer weather. And uh, I've You're got always a... an optimist, Tom. I know, I am. You're I am. I'm ready for it. looking forward. I'm ready for it. Well, you know, I'm ready for it and I plan for it. I'm going to do a project I've been putting off for a long time, and that is garage reorganization. You know, I got a lot of tools, and I got a big family. And sometimes, you know, after a winter... And after the fall, all of that stuff, like all sides of my life, the tool side of my life, family side of my life, it all shows up in piles in the garage. One big jumbled up mess. Kind of, you know, maze of of air conditioners and tools and furniture and, you know, kids stuff from college and all this. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to completely empty this building because I think that's the best way to get this project done. Then I'm going to epoxy the floor. And then I'm going to try to put back about half of what was there, (laughs) if I can get away with it. And you know what, Tom? You really brought up a good point. When you're organizing a space, I think the biggest step that you can do is emptying that space. You know, you really want to sort of take an inventory of what you've got. And the best way is just get everything out, pull it all out, look at what you have, and then decide what you're keeping, what you can get rid of, what you can donate. And then what's left in the, I really need to have to have this pile then you can sort through by the correct storage containers and really get organized. Well, I'm going to be donating some tools. I'm going to make some local people very, very happy. All right. Well, good luck with the project. Now we're going to Missouri where Tammy is having issues with her new furnace. What's going on? Let's talk you through this. Uh, I replaced the furnace in my mobile home here before the beginning of winter. And since then, I've had a buzzing noise in my breaker box every time it kicks on. I would like to say that the furnace that I replaced was about up to my knees, and the newer furnace was about chest high. Would that have something to do with the pulling of the ants? Or Well, the size of the physical size of the unit, unit may or may not be related to this. It's more like how much power is it pulling and how is it wired in to the breaker box. But if you're getting a vibration in the breaker box itself, that's not a good sign. Uh, the breaker could be deteriorating internally, and what you're hearing are the early stages of that, or perhaps the advanced stages of that. I don't know. I would tell you that if you got that kind of a, of a signal, um, I would definitely have it checked out by an electrician. Open that panel up, have them pull out those breakers, look behind them, make sure they're, it's sized properly, make sure nothing is overfused, for example, where the wrong size fuse is being used on a wire and therefore not protecting it from overheating. Uh, it's definitely not a good sign and shouldn't be happening, and you need to get it checked out further. Okay, Tammy? All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Jeff in Iowa needs some help with a low flow shower head. In true Seinfeld fashion, you're just not getting a good wash going? No, uh, no, I'm not. All right. My house is a 1978 ranch. We've lived here about 10 years. I've always had good water, what I felt was reasonably good water pressure. Uh, still has the original showers and shower heads in it, so I decided to upgrade everything to more eco-friendly stuff, replace the toilets, no problems. But the shower heads, I put these low-flow shower heads on, and it's like the water is just barely, I expected some decrease in performance, obviously, but the water is just like falling out of them. It's not spraying out like I would expect. Is this just happening at one shower head, Jeff, or is it happening at, at several shower heads? Two shower heads. Two shower heads. Okay. So we can rule out any kind of blockage because it wouldn't be happening to both at the same time. Now, 
what kind of shower heads did you put in there? Can you tell me the brand? Well, the first one was the the Home Improvement Stores brand okay. shower head. Uh, the the second one I've got is a water pick. It's it's not the highest end of you know. I thought maybe I just went too cheap on the first one, so I went I went kind of middle of the road. Maybe uh, you know I didn't know if I maybe needed to upgrade even more. Or just go back to the old shower head. So when you install a low flow shower head and you didn't have one before, you are correct in that you're going to get a reduction in the the power of the shower that perhaps you were used to. Now there should be an adequate amount of water. The fact that you're not feeling that means that maybe you don't have the right shower head. Um, or there's something wrong with the installation. I'd like to, for the purpose of this conversation, rule out the installation, rule out any clogging, although that is entirely possible, and, and you might want to take it off to look behind it to make sure that's the case. Um, but what I would recommend is that you upgrade the shower head to a name brand like a Moen or perhaps a Delta, because these guys spend a lot of time and a lot of money engineering their shower heads so that they don't decrease performance when they save you water. And the other thing to look for is a certification called Water Sense. And it's sort of like Energy Star for appliances, but it's like measuring water efficiency for, for faucets and shower heads. I will definitely give that a try because what, what I got going on now, it takes me so long to shower and get fill rinsed off, I might as well use the high flow. Not going to work, right? <laughs> yeah. Been in and out, you know, it, it takes so long. So yeah, it's not doing the trick. I will uh, I will look into the more expensive one and see what that does for me. All right, yeah, you can always take it back if that doesn't work. But uh, take a look at the installation first, just to be sure. Make sure you don't have any plumbing tape that uh, you know got jammed in there or anything of that nature. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Good luck with that project, Jeff. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, if this is the season that's got you thinking you're finally ready to invest in a snowblower, there are a lot of options available now, and a lot of them are very affordable, especially when you figure in the savings on a few of those trips to the chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, shoveling snow really can do a number on your body. I know they always say you got to stretch before you shovel, and really, who the heck does that? But it's true. I bet you'd feel a lot better. Well, you know what will really make you feel better is a snowblower. And the snowblower actually has an interesting history. You know, it was invented by a teenager who wanted to get out of doing work around the house. This is as the story goes. Back in 1941, a very mechanically inclined Boston teenager named William Murphy was looking for an easier way to clear snow from his home's 100-foot-long driveway. I mean, can you blame the kid? So he took a small one-cylinder Briggs & Stratton gas engine, you know, one that's commonly used in lawnmowers, and then he modified it to throw the snow. And you know, it's interesting, the, the, the design, the basic concept hasn't changed a lot since then. So if you want to buy one, there's a couple of things to know. First of all, you have to know what how many stages you want. There's a single stage blower, and then there's two stage snow blowers. The difference is that with single stage gas snow blowers, they use like an auger. It spins at a really high speed and it chips up the ice in the snow to collect it and throws it straight out a chute. The two-stage blower is a little bit different. The blowers have a spinning kind of impeller that's behind the snow collection auger. The impeller functions like a pump. It collects the snow that's churned by the auger and then pushes it from discharge chute out at an increased speed. More snow basically is moved, and it can also be moved at greater distances, in some cases up to about 40 or 50 feet with some models. So that's for like the big, serious snow-blowing tasks, like clearing a parking lot or maybe 100-foot driveway. Right. But 
But the other thing <laughs> is that there's also battery-powered snowblowers that are available today. And they work very, very well. And I mean, they charge quickly, they hold their charge well, and they can clear, you know, a fairly decent-sized driveway. I actually have a battery-operated one, and it works very well only because I truly have a hard time starting the gas blowers. I, I don't know why. I just can't seem to do them. So for me, the battery-operated one, it's much more lightweight. It's easier for me to use. Now, I think a lot of people get concerned when they think about snowblowers is they think that they're a really dangerous piece of equipment to use. And it's important to remember, you know, anything can be dangerous if you're not following the rules. So you want to pay attention. You want to read the directions. But, you know, you got to remember that the injuries are most frequently happening when the person who's using it is trying to clear that auger or the collector area with their hands. And that's a huge mistake. You know, according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, every year there are almost 6,000 hospital emergency room visits due to snowblower-related injuries. So you always want to stop the engine. And then remember, use a long stick to do any unclogging of wet snow or debris from the machine. This way you're keeping your hands, you know, far, far away and really at a distance. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, Leslie, is even if the engine is stopped, it can still be under tension and the blade can advance. Yeah. Once you clear that blockage. Right. Never, ever stick your hands in there, period. Always use a stick to do that. Frida from Ohio is on the line with the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Hi. Um, my radar, um, I'm in a radar range microwave. Um, it's mounted above my stove and on the bottom, the down light that shines down onto the stove, the light bulbs in that keeps burning out. And I have to replace them about once a month, and they're getting expensive. <laughs> what kind of light bulb are you using? Is this a regular incandescent? It's like the R11, the little appliance bulbs, 40 watt. And is this a fairly new problem, this once a month burnout, or has it been going on for a long, long time? It's it's getting worse. I mean, we've had the microwave in here. It's probably about 16 years old, or wow. give or take. Yeah, that doesn't really owe you any money. That's pretty old for a microwave appliance. It's You've pretty much reached the end of a normal life cycle. In fact, I'm kind of surprised it lasted that long because it's been my experience that the microwave ovens that are mounted above ranges don't last nearly as long as a countertop microwave because the additional heat from all that cooking has, an, has the, the, the effect of sort of wearing on those components. Typically, when you get a bulb that burns out quickly, it's either because you have a loose connection, you have a loose ground, or you have a problem with the voltage that's going in there. Sometimes, depending on what's happening with the power company, you could be getting, say, more than 120 volts. You might be getting 125, 130 volts sometimes because there could be something that is bad down the line with the power supply, the quality of the power supply. So if you have extra volts going into those lights, that is one of the first things that tends to, to show it. It's kind of like the canary in the coal mine. You know, when the when the lights start to go burn out frequently like that, it could be an issue with the voltage. So have you been thinking about a new microwave? Um, not really. <laughs> what I would suggest is at this point, you're, you really need to have the voltage tested. So I would call the utility company and ask them to meter the voltage going into your house and see if it's, it, let's eliminate that as a possibility. Um, if that is okay, I would, the second thing I would check is the plug that, that it's actually plugged into. I'd check the outlet to make sure it's properly grounded. And if it's properly grounded, then I think you've exhausted the two things that, that are the easiest to fix. And at that point, you might want to think about replacing the microwave. All right. That sounds good. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
Hey, does your home suffer from some shaky stairs or loose railings? Well, fixing them to make steps safe again is actually pretty easy. We're going to tell you how after this. Hi, this is Mary Lou Henner from the Mary Lou Henner Show, and I'm obsessed with these guys. You're listening to The Money Pit. My buddies Tom Kreitler and Leslie Segretti. On The Money Pit Radio Show. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Making good homes better, you've got the Money Pit. I'm Leslie Segretti. And I'm Tom Kreitler. Hey, guys, if you've got a flooring project planned for the next few months, and maybe it's a vinyl flooring project, here's a tip that'll make your project go a lot easier. Now, vinyl flooring is really easiest to work with at room temperature. I mean, have you ever picked up like a roll of vinyl and it's cold out? You had it in your car and it gets inside your house. They are really almost impossible to unroll and get to lay down flat. So you want to make sure that before you install it, take it out of your car, even your garage, put it in the space where it's going to go and give it some time to warm up. You will see that that material is going to be so much easier to work with and your project is truly going to get done a lot easier. Good advice. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Tim and I was on the line with some issues with the basement floor. What is happening at your money pit? Well, I've got a 1920s house. I've got a ditch out in front of the house. When I get a lot of rain, I get a wet basement. My question is, is there any product, purely decorative, to put on the basement floor that uh, is not going to come up when my basement floor does get wet? How about this idea? How about if we tell you how to stop that basement floor from getting wet, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, like I said, it's an old house. It's not tiled. Other than uh, 
if the if 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 the county if the county would be willing to put a put a big uh, six foot uh, drain in, in in place of the ditch, that would probably fix it. But uh, we're not going to be able to do anything about that. What's causing this? Are you telling me that there's something going on outside that's that you can't control? Because generally, the causes of a wet basement are really two things. Number one, um, the failure of the gutter system. So that means you don't have a gutter system or the gutters are clogged or the gutters are discharging too close to the foundation. And number two, the angle of the soil around the immediate, say, four to eight feet around your house. If it's flat, if it's pitched into the wall, that's going to fill up with water and lead to this wet basement. The fact that you have a wet basement that is consistent with rainfall means that it's not a rising water table. It means it's just drainage. So the solution is to better manage that drainage. And no matter what you, what's going on around you, I have almost never seen a case where you couldn't make it a lot better by controlling and improving what you can control, like your gutters and your drainage. Well, I, I don't mean to disagree with you, but I get the same water um, during snow melt. And the same reason for that. Because, again, if you if that water is coming from snow melt or rainfall, it's surface drainage. It's not a rising water table. Believe me when I tell you this is one of the easiest things to fix, but people just don't get it. Because they think it's too easy. They think it's too easy. They, they think they have to spend tens of thousands of dollars on it. And, you know, there's an article on the homepage of my website. And it's kind of funny when you read the comments because there's like an ongoing debate that goes on between waterproofers who try to argue against it and other experts like home inspectors who go, no, this guy's exactly right. We don't need your expensive sump pump systems. This can be fixed with better drainage and gutter control. And it's actually one of the most downloaded articles we've ever had on the site. I think there's like a half million downloads of it. So it really is as easy as I'm explaining and you can improve this. To the original question about paint, yeah, there are damp-proofing paints that are available for your floor. You would just use a basic epoxy paint. It's a two-part mix that has a chemical cure. And as long as you put it on while the floor is dry, it's not going to come up with the floor gets damp. Well, big houses sometimes get a bad rap from an environmental perspective, with some complaining that they're energy hogs compared to smaller, more efficient homes. Yes, but size might not matter as much as people think. What matters is how we operate them. Here to help set the record straight is a guy with experience remodeling homes of all sizes, this old house host, Kevin O'Connor. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, guys. Great to be back. So the current sort of tiny home craze notwithstanding, American homes have generally gotten bigger over time, right? They have gotten bigger over time, and they are continuing to get bigger despite that tiny home craze. Um, Think about this. The average size of a home in 1950 was 983 square feet. Uh, Fast forward to 2013, and the average size was 2,598 square feet. So they are definitely, it's insane. They're definitely getting a lot bigger. And while they're getting bigger, the number of people of living in those houses is going down. In 1950, the average household had about 3.38 people. In 2014, it was 2.5. So a lot more room per person. But we don't build them like we used to, do we? No, we don't. And I think this is the thing that's behind the premise that a, a big house isn't necessarily bad. And again, let's look at some statistics. Homes that were built after 2000, they consume only 2% more energy 
than homes that were built prior to 2000, despite the fact that on average, they are 30% larger. We are building better houses. And the only reason that the total home energy consumption isn't down in those periods is because we're using a lot more electricity for all of our electronics and gadgets. We use 21% less energy for space heating in today's homes than we do in older homes, despite being so much bigger. So it's not so much the house that's wasting energy, it's all the people living in the house that's using energy. Well, it's using energy, but the, the point is, is that we can make a bigger house that uses less energy than a smaller house. And so the size... Well, the size is kind of a moot point. What's important is really how you operate the house. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that you really have to look at. And I think, you know, you bring up an interesting point. You know, we're remodeling houses to make them larger. There's not really a lot of new home stock happening out there. Did you build a new house, Leslie? No. You I'm bought. in a 100-year-old house. There you go. How about you, Tom? Did yeah, you build? mine's been in, in the family since 1886. Well, there you go. The first house I bought was built in 1895, and the second house I bought was built in 1950. Very few of us build a new house. Um, less than half of 1% of, new of our existing housing stock are new houses built every year. So the vast majority of the 112 million homes are homes that we buy that are already there. So there's very little we can do about their size. What we can do is think about how do we operate these houses efficiently. And if I move into a big house, let's say I buy a 3,500 square foot house, but then I go and I add a ton of insulation and energy efficient equipment, aren't I taking a lot of housing stock and making it more efficient? I've actually improved the efficiency of a big house, which is necessarily a good thing. So you have to think about not the size of the house, but what you do with it. So bottom line, Kevin, uh, really for any size house, if you want to make it more efficient, what are the top things to consider? It's a pretty short list. Um, and as you say, it doesn't matter what size the house is. This list applies to all houses. And the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you add insulation. If the house doesn't have any, there's a great opportunity to add tons of it. If you've got some in there, you often can add to what's there and improve on what's there. After insulation, you want to think about air sealing. You want to stop the moving air from going in and out of the house, around windows and doors, and around the sill is certainly a place. Um, you can also upgrade your mechanical equipment. Um, mechanical equipment these days can be 90, 95 plus percent efficient. So new equipment will be super efficient. And then the easiest thing is your electrical load. You can reduce your electrical load very quickly using things like LED light bulbs all throughout the house. All of those things will take a big house or a small house and make it more efficient. Great advice. Kevin O'Connor, the host of TV's This Old House. Thank you so much for stopping by The Money Pit. My pleasure. All right. You can catch the current season of This Old House and ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step -step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House is brought to you on PBS by Lumber Liquidators. Hardwood floors for less. Up next, are you at a loss as to what to get your valentine? Well, how about a romantic room makeover? We're going to have tips for some truly lovey-dovey gifts after this. You live in a body pit. Body pit. 
Making good homes better. You are tuned to the Money Pit. I'm Leslie Segretti. And I'm Tom Kreitler. Hey, you guys. It's February, so I think everybody's probably planning a warm destination vacation to get the heck away from all this cold. How about you, Tom? Absolutely. Um, I've had just about had it. Looking forward to spring. Right. <laughs> uh, ready to get into the to-do list. Uh, and just can't wait to get outside to do that without freezing my padukis off. Seriously. I mean, it's been cold. And they're even projecting that, you know, this early spring, end of winter is just going to be very unbearably cold for most of the country that polar vortex is making a return which is so great you know and along those lines with people taking vacations this month you know with the school kids off and everybody just trying to warm up a little bit i think it's important that we take a step and think about what we can do to avoid frozen pipes potential dangerous leaks that could happen while you're out of town and you know you might not know about it until you get home and there's a tremendous amount of water sitting in your home and you know so much damage done so i think if you're going out of town the best advice is to know where your water main is turn it off Turn off all the water flow into the house, drain out all the pipes, you know, just open the valves, let the water run out until there's nothing left, and then go away with peace of mind, knowing that nothing could potentially freeze within your home. Now, if you are home and it's super cold, you know, it tends to be all of your sinks in your kitchen and your bathrooms could be on exterior walls, and a lot of plumbing is there as well. So if you do have a sink on an exterior wall, you can go ahead and open up those cabinet doors just on the case or the cabinet itself. Let that warm air from the heated part of the room really just get to those pipes to keep them warm. There's even pipe insulation tubes. It looks like a little foam gasket that just wraps around. Anything that you can do to help warm air circulate around those pipes and keep those pipes free flowing will save you from a lot of damage and a lot of headache that you might not even realize is there until all of a sudden there's so much water you're not really quite sure what to do with it. Good advice. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Standing by to help you with your home improvement questions at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Well, we've got Valentine's Day coming up, and it really does tend to be the time of year when a woman's fancy turns to things, you know, like, you know, she wants to improve around the house, you guys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's what my wife wants on Valentine's Day. Home improvements. Home improvement (laughs) projects. I mean, seriously, you know, jewelry and flowers, those truly are a standard go-to. But there are actually some romantic makeovers that can truly make a romantic gift as well. No, that's right. I mean, think about adding maybe some new lighting to your bedroom or what about, say, a spa shower update? Those are pretty easy to do with some of the plumbing fixtures that are available today that kind of just hook up to your existing piping. You might want to consider a new paint color or you could do something really simple like hang a collection of, say, favorite photos of the two of you or perhaps the entire family on a gallery and sort of make a beautiful wall out of it, any of which would be a really big surprise for your Valentine. Yeah. Can I make a suggestion, though? Listen, guys, while you're doing whatever this improvement is or hanging the artwork, whatever you're going to do is this home improvement gift, send your lady to the spa or somewhere without the kids for like an hour. That's, you know, a bonus present. Good advice. This is the Money Pit (laughs) Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call right now with your how-to question at one eight 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 money pit Marion, North Carolina is on the line with a mossy roof. Tell us what's going on at your money pit. Well, we have a 10-year-old roof, asphalt shingles, I believe they are, and the sections between shingles are beginning to be filled up with moss. It's like a mossy grout line. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'd like to know how to get it safely clean and keep it from growing back again. It isn't the entire roof. We we are in an A-frame house, so it's very sh- you know very sharp, very steep roof, and it's just about the uh, eight or ten feet closest to the 
to the edge. Okay, do you see it all the way around? you just see it on, say, the north-facing side or in the it's area? It's just on this north-facing part. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the area that gets the least amount of sunlight. Right. Um, do you have, like, a large tree that's, you know, adding more shade to this area? We have a lot of trees, yeah. A lot of trees. Yeah, therein lies the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, the best solution here is can you trim out or thin out those trees in any way to get more sunlight onto that portion of the roof? Because if you can do that, sunlight really is, you know, your best weapon in getting rid of this moss and keeping it away. Now, you'll have to do some work to get it to be gone in the first place. But if you can add more sunlight, you're going to help it stay away. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Hey, you know, homes come in all shapes and sizes, and that includes roof structure and ceiling structure and truly what the interior looks like. And when it comes to heating those homes, some of them can be more challenging than others. We come back, we're going to help somebody with a cathedral ceiling to get a better heating situation. So stick around. Making good homes better, you are tuned to The Money Pit. I'm Leslie Segretti. And I'm Tom Kreitler. Hey, you guys. We are a month into the new year. What are you working on? What are you trying to tackle around your money pit? Well, you know we're here to help, so why not post your questions online, and we can talk you through it right here on the radio show. I've got one here from Sam in Maryland who writes, I have a cathedral ceiling in my living room. I want to add more insulation, but I don't have an attic. Is there any way to do it? Nope. <laughs> well, not exactly true. It's hard to insulate a cathedral ceiling because if you have a cathedral ceiling and really any insulation except for spray foam needs to have an airspace. So let's say the rafter, right? This, the roof rafter is about eight inches deep, or even if it's a deep, deeper than that, let's say it's 10 inches deep. You can only put ages of insulation there because you need to leave the extra two inches for air to circulate above the insulation to take the moisture out. And so if it's jammed up with insulation, it doesn't help you because it's going to be damp. So what do you do? Well, a couple of strategies. First of all, the best thing to do is probably to take the drywall off of the ceiling. And then you can either deepen the rafter bay, right, by adding additional material underneath the rafter, kind of faking it and making it at least, say, 12 inches deep. But what I would say to do is, if you are going to take that step, why not use spray foam insulation? You know, about 30% of the work that spray foam companies do are retrofit. And if you're going to insulate your house and you want it to really be warm and comfortable, there's no better system than spray foam. So to do this, you would take the drywall down. You would take the old insulation out. You would not have to deepen the rafter bay because spray foam is more efficient than that. And then the spray foam could be sprayed into those rafter bays. Then the drywall could be replaced and you will never be more comfortable or have a more efficient house by doing that. I did this with isonine spray foam insulation. was very happy with the result. And today the formulas have so little VOCs in them that basically you have to be out of the house for like two hours. You go back in and you're good to go. And you're nice and toasty warm. Exactly. There is one other option and that is to take the roof off, put about three inches of foam on top of the old roof sheathing, then new roof sheathing and re-roof. But you can see whether you work from the top or the bottom, 
it's really hard to make a cathedral ceiling house more energy efficient unless you take one of those two steps. All right, Sam, I hope that helps keep you nice and warm in your big cathedral ceilinged room. Next up, we've got a poster from Brad in Colorado who writes, I had contractors in smoothing some walls recently. I realized too late that they were cleaning the joint compound off of their tools in my kitchen sink. What's this going to do to my pipes? Well, it's not smart, Brad, but Probably not, because joint compound is water-soluble. And if they cleaned it into the drain and ran some water, it it probably just melted and ran down the pipes. And even if some stuck and and got hard, it's going to be pretty soft and will erode pretty quickly. It was just not a great idea that they did that. All right, next up, we've got a post here from Brian in Boston who writes, I've got a question for you guys. Sometimes I feel like there's something going on with my electrical panel. I have a ground fault circuit interrupter. He writes GFCI. But sometimes when the garbage disposer is on, it'll trip the light in the kitchen. It doesn't seem like things like to play nicely when they're both on together. What can I do? Well, well if you've got a, a ground fault circuit breaker that's tripping, you need to listen to it. It's doing that because there's something going wrong with the circuit. And also, if you've got one on a circuit with a garbage disposal, well, that's a problem because those disposals have a big amperage drawer, and typically you don't put that kind of a product on a GFCI. So I think you need to get an electrician in there. I'd recommend you go to Angie's List. Com. It's free now, and they have about 10 like million reviews of contractors. I'm sure you'll find a good one there. Yeah, and it's always effective to have somebody else's opinion. That's way you know you're getting somebody you can trust. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, coming to you on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. The Money Pit is also available by podcast, and you can subscribe on our website at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. big money when you start your next project today at menards check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock ready to take home today we carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest menards you can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on menards.com save big money at menards 